the purpose here is to try and unlock your potential by giving you movements that actually train the whole body to perform and not at just one joint. And the effect is immediate. You don't have to wait for weeks to see the scale drop or the, the tape measure around the arms increase or anything like that. We're talking about training the nervous system through movement. And by doing that, your strength levels improve, the compensation and imbalances diminish, pain goes away relatively quick, or at least it gets a lot less. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kybert, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Rocky Snyder, super excited to have you on Muscle Medicine Podcast. You have been a trainer for 30 years? Close to it, yeah. I'm closing Close. in on 30 years. Yeah, and you have this really interesting toolkit of tools, similar to mine, and we've studied under probably very similar people, and I'd love to just really dive deep into where strength meets mobility, gait, and also correctives, because I think oftentimes as trainers and as people who do movement, we like to sometimes overcorrect. Yeah. Um, so welcome to Muscle Medicine Podcast. I'm really excited to have you on. Uh, it's, it's a joy, a pleasure. I'm, I'm really stoked to be here as well. And I've listened to several of your episodes and, and get something out of them each time. So I don't know if anybody will get anything out of this one, but you know, we'll, hopefully the trend will continue. They for sure 100% will. So I'd love to just open up kind of like a big, broad, maybe 30,000 foot view of what does it mean to train intelligently? Because I saw that in your book. Yes. Well, training intelligently, we've often been told in order to understand where you are in the moment, we must study history. We must look at where we've come from in order to know how we got to where we are now. And so to train intelligently, I think, includes a, a major part of understanding how it is that we are exercising in the world today. And what we'll find is, is that there's a lot of pro approaches out there in regards to strength, conditioning, exercise, and so on, that have unfortunately not taken that into consideration, and that many people are just taking for granted whatever it is that they were told to do when they first entered a gym or a fitness studio. And that might have been from their gym teacher or their parents or siblings or a training partner or a personal trainer or a strength coach that are only just telling them, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to do these breakdown sets. We're going to do chest, shoulders, and triceps on one day, back and biceps, another legs and abs on another. Essentially, the, the bodybuilding routine that they've been doing for I don't know how many decades. Right? That's great if you want to be a bodybuilder. Then there's those other places that are all about super high-intensity training when they don't take into consideration the fact that we as a society are moving less and less with each passing day, especially lately, and that the structural integrity of the bodies that are entering the gyms are structurally less sound and weaker than the year before or the year before that. And those aren't taking into consideration. So 
training intelligently is actually stepping back and looking at the approach to training that we're taking right now, where an individual as well as the population is in regards to their ability to move, and then designing a program based on all of that information. Yeah, which is a lot of information to take in when you're just like first meeting someone, right? Tremendous, tremendous amounts. Yeah, it, it becomes almost like paralysis because of analysis. And you've just got to just do what you can not to get overwhelmed. And let's just take one bit of information at a time and build upon that. Yeah. So you have been influenced by Gary Ward, the founder of Anatomy in Motion, as well as I have. And so I noticed in your book, Return to Center, this really focus on training asymmetrical split stance, not necessarily doing lots of heavy symmetrical bilateral stances. That's true. It's not to say that those aren't very beneficial because they are and they've been proven through tremendous amounts of research over the years. And I've been a strength conditioning specialist with the NSCA since 1993. So I've seen the growth and development. And of course, we get journals of research that we can just sift through a tremendous amount of information. And most of it is about bilateral lifts. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. However, we are contralateral bipeds. We move by allowing one leg to do something completely opposite than the other. And the same with the arms. And we do that for 90% of our existence. We're only 10% of our day-to-day is actually in a bilateral kind of situation. And we don't move bilaterally. And yet, when you look at the common conditioning programs, you'll find that up to 90% of the program itself is comprised of bilateral action. And only 10% is done single limb or single sided. And I think we need to tilt that around. I think we need to do more about 80 or 90% of either alternating or single side action, contralateral perhaps, or same side. And then only 10%, maybe up to 20% doing bilaterally. There is a reason that you want to do bilateral action, but it takes away a lot. When we think about where the majority of exercises came, and here's our little history component, is that we're going to find there are three competitions that strength people gained information or exercises from. One of them we've already discussed, and that's bodybuilding, which is all about the aesthetic qualities of the body and hypertrophying or increasing the size of muscle fibers. And that is done through a lot of open chain, isolated, segmental movements that are just basically geared toward the biggest muscle groups and creating a defined body so that you can stand in a Speedo on stage and look good, right? And then we also have Olympic style weightlifting. So we've got the clean and jerk and the snatch, which are fantastic, powerful, explosive exercises, but they're also bilateral. That's not to say that we can't use them, but that's also where we're getting most of our exercises from, especially in the high intensity small box gyms. And then we also have powerlifting or what used to be called odd lifts, which eventually boiled just down to three movements, which is the deadlift, the bench press, and the squat, right? So when you look at the majority of of movements, that's where we're coming from. Now, in order to lift a lot of heavy weight, you need to make sure that you're very braced and stable. So now 90% of our programming is all about locking and bracing the body in order to lift heavy movements. 
But what happens when you are on a soccer pitch or a football field or a basketball court, and now you need your spine to actually laterally flex, side bend side to side, or flex and extend, or rotate left and right, while you're moving and trying to elude a defender, or you're trying to to be the defender and stop somebody from getting past you. Now you've been training your body to be stiff and explosive or strong, and now you're actually needing to be more limber and dynamic. In, in regards to being strong and powerful at the same time. And unfortunately, we're seeing these conditioning programs start to have another outcome, and that's in the form of, of injuries, of non-contact injuries in sports. Like ACLs are huge right now. ACL tears or repairs are one of the biggest things in professional sports. The NFL, I, somewhere around 11 or 12% of NFL players either have a history or will experience ACL tears sometime in their professional career. And that could be actually a season ender or a career ending injury. And they weren't even touched, but it's partly because of how they've been conditioning their body. The NBA, I think is somewhere around two and a half percent of NBA players are going to encounter that, not to mention ankle stuff or low back issues. So the way in which we're training our athletes is to, to be more like a very strong tree to be rooted into the ground, and to be able to support tremendous weight up above. And instead of being a supple tiger that can be just explosive at one moment and then relaxed at another. And that's really where the unilateral, contralateral training is going to come into play. We unlock the spine and all the joints of the body to freely move through three-dimensional space and not just be biased toward forward and backward, up and down. So other than doing programming more of a split or asymmetrical stance and moving more fluidly through those, those three planes of motion, how else do you work with clients to create that limber, fluid motion that they would need applicable to their sport? Well, there's elements that we can draw in, such as the foam rolling or self-myofascial release work. But with that, also, we want to have a strategy we want to know like, when the body is out of subtle alignment, when there's subtle distortions, and I'm not talking quasi-moto or, or major scoliosis or anything, but every athlete or every individual that walks through your door has been living in a society that takes away purposeful physical activity and replaces it with time-saving and labor-saving devices and technology. So their bodies aren't being used the way they were designed. So muscular imbalances begin to occur and their posture begins to distort. And they begin to reinforce these certain movement patterns that are going to be not balanced. They're not going to do the same thing on their left as they do with their right. In fact, their right arm is going to have a different role in general in life than their left arm is unless they're truly perfectly ambidextrous. And you can say the same thing for the legs. So if you consider that, then you're going to understand that there's certain muscles around the hips on the left side that are going to be shorter than those on the right and vice versa. And so we're trying to create a more balance in soft tissue to draw the body back into a more aligned position where joints function at their optimal best, where every function in the body actually is more optimally occurring, whether it's digestion, cardiopulmonary, musculoskeletal, whatever the case is, the closer we get to a more aligned body, the better we're going to be for our overall athletic performance. 
So uh, with foam rolling, we target the areas there where the, sh the muscles are shortened and see if we can't bring in stimulation and length into there. And that puts us in a better position to accommodate any movement. And then there's mobility drills based on where a person's posture is will give us an kind of an idea of where we want to start in terms of opening up the body and allowing for restricted areas that don't move very well to start to experience movement probably for the first time in a while. And just doing those two actions will actually allow the central nervous system, or more importantly, the autonomic nervous system, to regulate greater force production throughout the body. So we can increase a person's strength level in many ways. The only way that we're doing it currently, for the most part, is load a lot of weight on it and try and have it just respond with specific adaptation to impose demand, right? You load the body, the muscles get stronger, but how they move is going to be dictated by where they are currently in their bodies in terms of where their structure is. So if we can get them into a more aligned position and feed proper movement patterns into it, then the nervous system goes, hey, this is good. We can actually increase the amount of force that this muscle in particular can generate and we can elevate the governing wire. So, and that occurs actually in the matter of how long it takes a nerve to get to the brain. So I can increase or decrease for that matter, a person's strength level just by where they are in space. So instead of taking weeks and weeks to hypertrophy a muscle through heavy lifting, which has its place again, we still do that, but we can also get a person stronger immediately by bringing them back into a more centrated place. So just to get nuanced, what would be your definition of alignment? Is it symmetry? Is it balance? Is it being able to move through center equally? You know, when you talk about alignment, what does that really, what does that mean to you? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, it's, it's impossible for us to be perfectly balanced. We've got one heart and the lung on that side has two lobes compared to a three lobe lung on the right side. We've got one spleen, one stomach, our bones grow at subtly different rates of speed, right? We're, we're always constantly out of alignment. But the further I travel toward the edge of the cliff, the more danger I'm in. So all I want to do is head in the opposite direction. Can I go toward home base? Can I go toward center? I'm not looking to actually get anybody completely symmetrical because that's not really the goal here. The goal is, can we offer them different experiences on a regular basis to allow them to explore movement patterns that have been lost or put aside so that now they have greater opportunity of movement? Because honestly, Doc, if we looked at how the body continually moves in a workout, we're going to see the same thing as somebody that's a, a secretary, administrative executive that is at a desk situation, there are repetitive movements. The only difference is one is loaded with weights and is straining the body to a different degree. But when you start thinking about tendonitis, whether it's golfer's elbow, tennis elbow, rotator cuff issues, low back stuff, runner's knee, plantar fasciitis, all the things people are, are complaining about those are just another level of repetitive stress syndrome. They just haven't been labeled as a syndrome yet. But 
How many bicep curls do you really need to do in the same strict path over time? How many squats are enough? Pretty soon you begin to see the wear patterns in a person's workout if they haven't changed it. And I don't mean just changing the way in which you do a squat. Actually, getting away from doing a squat every now and then is not a bad thing. Start to explore a different dimension of movement and then come back to the squat. And what do you know? You're actually stronger. You're performing it cleaner or better. So we are just these automatons sometimes that we go into the gym and we go through the same circuit machines, which have their own drawbacks. And we go around the room over and over again, and we expect our bodies to change, which of course is the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and expect different results. So what if we were to start to break away from the mindset that we must continually, in order to get stronger, we have to grab a kettlebell every time we walk in the room. Again, I'm not saying that, that there's a place for kettlebells, there's a place for barbells, there's a place for dumbbells, but there's also a place for owning movement in your body that will regulate a greater amount of strength and performance. Yeah. So there's, there's some principles that Gary of Anatomy and Motion shares, right? And you share them in your book, which I love. Yeah. I'm going to bring up three, and I love just to get into your mind of like, okay, how does this apply to program design for a client. So the first one is joints act, muscles react. Okay. The second one, muscles lengthen before they contract. Beautiful. Which is huge, especially when it relates to strength training. And then everything revolves around center. So I'd love to break out, and there's there's more, but I'd love to break out that second one, that muscles lengthen before they contract. How do you build that principle into a program when you're working with a client, right? Because let's say you take Let's say you want them to do a kickstand deadlift, right? Just so we can make it asymmetrical. <laughs> Let's just say okay. hypothetically, okay? Right. How do you build that principle into, for example, that exercise? Or is it built into programming in a different way when you're programming for strength with your client? All right. How much time do we have? <laughs> just kidding. All right. Okay. Let's first, we'll deal with the, the principle that you, you just mentioned now. Muscles lengthen before they shorten. Yes. So if you were to have a slingshot and you wanted to propel the pebble in the sleeve of the slingshot across the room, what do you have to do? Are you, you need to pull back on that band so that it lengthens and creates potential force and power. And then you release it and suddenly there's a contraction and it sends something flying. That is how we jump. That is how we walk. That is how we run. We land on planet Earth the rubber bands of our muscles lengthen to reduce any more impact. That creates potential power. And then the change in direction of the muscle starts to shorten to propel us forward. That is the essence of human movement. We must load before we explode. We must lengthen before we shorten. Now, I don't come here to slam traditional conventional workouts because they have been phenomenal and I love training, I love fitness, I love exercise, I love everything about it. But you know, I love my children too, but there's some things that they don't do well that I want to improve upon, right? So that's kind of one of my missions here is to say, hey, there's ways that we're training that are awesome, but there's other ways that are really our drawbacks. And one of those is the concentric model of training meaning we go from a muscle that's, we'll call it neutral. It's neither lengthening nor shortening. And we start at that beginning place of neutrality and we lift a weight and the muscles shorten and then we bring them back to neutral. 
Now, we never go past neutral on many of these exercises into actually lengthening the muscle beyond that. And that is the area that we need to focus on a lot because that's how we load our bodies through movement and athletic activities. So in the case of like the deadlift, the single leg deadlift, kickstand deadlift, what has to occur there as the leg is lifting behind you, it's really the standing leg in some ways that we're focusing on. We need those hamstring muscles to lengthen as well as the gluteals. So that whole complex is lengthening under load. And then as you stand back up, it's shortening. So I love deadlifts in that fashion. And I love variations of the deadlift. Now, the other thing that has to happen is aside from the standing leg, the leg that's raising back behind you, well, that's going into extension. And that means that your hip flexors are needing to lengthen and load to some degree to draw you back. So I've got my hip flexors on one side, my hip extensors on the other that are having to go through this lengthening process and then shortening to bring me back up. And that is an exaggeration of how we walk. So in walking, by the way, we, you know, well, on the East Coast, you're probably getting about 10,000 steps a day. But us lazy Californians, we don't have mass transit like that. You know, if we could talk about how many times I paddle on a surfboard, that would be over 10,000 a day. But walking, you know, we're lucky if we get maybe 5,000 on average. So the average American walking 5,000 steps a day, that is equivalent to about 1.8 million, 50,000 repetitions in a year. That, that's a lot of repetitions. And if you're doing it really well, then that's awesome. But if you're really bad at opening up the hips and allowing the foot to do what it needs to do and the spine to do what it needs to do, and you've been training yourself to be stiff, trees that lift a lot of weights, then you're going to be compromised on how not only you walk, but then how you run and how you sprint and how you move laterally and so on. So the single leg deadlift, fantastic. Lengthen and load the tissue so it understands there's this reflex called the stretch shortening reflex. And in our world, we call it the amortization phase. It's when the muscle gets to a lengthened loaded place where the nerve fibers, spindles, Golgi tendon organs, all the proprioceptors start to light up. And the further you lengthen into that area, the more they light up. And when they light up, they tell the muscle, okay, it's time to shorten and contract. So when we go into these movements into the eccentric load, we're actually training the neuromuscular system to fire the muscles even more efficiently. So hopefully not too long-winded, but there you go. So it sounds like you, with your clients and athletes, focus on the eccentric load to get that lengthen before the contract. Would yeah, that be- a lot of times. Many yeah, times. So- but there's, there's times where I'm going to need to kind of, if I see that not happening, then there's something that isn't occurring the way I want it. And then I'm going to have to kind of go into more of an isolated place and really get that joint to function properly so that the surrounding muscle tissue know what they're supposed to do and then put them back into that movement to integrate it back into their system. So I'm constantly kind of widening my lens and then narrowing it, kind of having a wide angle camera, and then a telephoto at the same time, constantly seeing how the body moves. And I guess that's really what we're going for is the quality of movement more than the quantity of load. Yeah. So even to get like more nuanced, do you focus on that eccentric load by slowing that movement down? Do you do it by doing, creating like a deficit? I'm curious, like how do you focus on that lengthen before that contract. Yeah. 
You know, it, it really comes down to the individual. And I try and think about what are they doing and can I give them a different experience? Not necessarily the opposite, but for instance, people that are desk jockeys are going to be challenged by dynamic movement in general because they are isometric throughout the day. So giving them something dynamic is going to be something different. Compared to somebody that is on the go all the time and very dynamic, I put them into an isometric position where they are not moving, but they're loaded. And it is extremely challenging because now I'm just feeding difference into their system. So for somebody that moves relatively quick through every repetition, I'm going to ask them to create greater control, i.e. slow down their movements. And for somebody that's moving really slow, I'm going to try and change their tempo around a little bit more. For somebody that is not really getting the movement I need, say the single leg deadlift, I may need to load them more for that pattern to clean up. Or for somebody that doesn't load all the time, I may have to change it up and give them assistance. So it all depends upon the individual. But in regards to like loading eccentrically, I'm going to really try and in general get better control in their movements. Because typically, if somebody's not good at something, subconsciously, the brain is going to learn how to skip over it and rather than go through it and learn. Mm -hmm. So in these moments, we've really got to pay attention to what the entire body is doing. And you should know what it should be doing when giving that particular movement or exercise. Like in a single leg deadlift, you should know what the standing knee has to perform when the movement's occurring. The foot and the ankle should be doing something. The spine should be doing something. And if you're not aware of what they should be doing, it's very easy to have that person not do it properly and you remain unaware as a coach or a trainer. So it's really essential that you know the joint mechanics of the entire body through every movement that you're training and not just, oh, this is going to target your glute or we're going to hit the glute max or medius on this one. This is going to hit your transverse abdominis. Well, that's great. But I, honestly, we pay attention more to bones because the muscles attach to the bones. And if I get one bone to move, I'm affecting all the muscles, not just the sartorius or the adductor magnus or whatever is in vogue this week for which muscle you want to train and how we blame the world's problems on this particular muscle. Oh, it's your, uh, yeah, it's your glute medius last year. This year, I don't even know what's in vogue. That's <laughs> so funny. There's this concept called COGS, right? Which I think you talk about. And it's like, if one joint is moving one way, then it's kind of, so for example, like if the lumbar spine is extending, then it would be the opposite, right? Kind of In terms of like your pelvis and your rib cage? So I'm curious. So like when I, you know, because I'm a big DNS, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization studier, they talk about this intra-abdominal pressure and this load and having the ribs stacked over the pelvis and this canister, right? And so, you know, if you think of the phases of gait, we're constantly in this cog and oppositional movement. But when we load, we can't necessarily, at least, you know, from my understanding of DNS, in a ton of extension flaring our ribs if we want to pull a heavy weight, right? Correct. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. So, you know, in my own practice and with working with people, I've always, I've kind of used, you know, this idea of returning to center as Mm -hmm. correctives and then using load 
to get muscles to fire. But I was like, is there a better way to kind of integrate this return to center with load? Which I was like, Rocky would probably know the answer to that. <laughs> yeah. You know, we do load in cog motions. Mm. But the goal here is when the body is ready for it, you know, often is the case that the human body is load enough for people that move improperly. We are so quick to grab a dumbbell or a barbell in thinking that that is how we need to strength train, when in truth, the torso itself is 30% of your body weight. That is a tremendous amount for some of the smaller muscles get overwhelmed when we're doing heavier lifting. So I guess the the question is, is why are you lifting heavier weights? Is it so that you can become a better weight lifter? Or are you lifting heavier weights to become a better athlete at a particular sport? Then if that is the case, then we're gonna have to really think about what is involved with your sport. Like we started this whole strength and conditioning journey back in about 1978 at the University of Nebraska, Bob Devaney, went up to the head football coach and, and suggested that he take his athletes into the gym. Up until that point, strength and conditioning was, was not really all that popular. And the coach said, okay, but if you break any of my players, you're done. We're not we're going to do this again. And of course, what happened, they became the, the national champions for college football that year. And oh, what were they doing different? And then that propelled this whole approach. Now, what did they do? They, they were looking at the linemen and they figured, well, they need to be explosive off the line and they're only going to move maybe two or three steps. So we're going to start doing Olympic lifting with them and we're going to do heavy lifting. And that's where everything has started from, is from football conditioning of linemen. It wasn't like we're going to make your wide receivers faster or your quarterback more powerful. That came with time. It was all about the front line. And that's what everything has been predicated on up to this point. I love doing kettlebell cleans and snatches and Turkish get-ups. They're great for me to experience movement under load. But those patterns I have developed strength with. If you gave me a new pattern to move into that I was not familiar with, the last thing I want to do is grab a, a 35 kilo kettlebell and start to try and manage that external mass on top. So when we talk about the cogwheel actions, that is how we move, first of all. When the rib cage tilts in one direction, the pelvis should be opposite. That means that the muscles attaching between the two are lengthening on one side, shortening on the other, creating that slingshot effect of lengthen and load before exploding. Whether it's rotating in one direction and the other is rotating opposite, leaning forward with the rib cage, tilting back with the pelvis, it's all occurring. So first of all, I wanna make sure that they have the responsibility or ability to move through those patterns. And if there's some restrictions, then can we figure out why that's occurring? If we can peel back the layers and the underlying problem and allow those movements to occur under a regular body weight load fluidly, now it's time to start to load them even more and challenge them to coordinate greater degrees of movement. And we can do that with traditional lifts, in fact, because all a lunge is an exaggeration of, of a run or a walk or a stride. So, but I can do it forward, I can do it backwards, I can do it laterally, I can cross to the other side or I can rotate around to the same side. There's all these three-dimensional movements that I can now start to integrate cogwheel 
like actions through my entire system. Because it's not just the rib cage and the pelvis or, or skull we're talking about. I mean, there's cogs everywhere through our shoulder girdle, through our hips, the legs, and so on. Can we just harness the ability to move cleanly without restriction? And then the next thing you know, they're actually more, they're stronger than they were before when they were doing exclusive weight training. And their bodies feel lighter, they move quicker, there's less restriction. And really, I think we need to transition more into this direction than the conventional way of just let's lift heavy, let's do the overload principle, and let's put them out on the field and we'll deal with the injuries as they come up that are the non-contact ones of inversion sprains and ACL tears, low back problems. I mean, it's, it's rampant. Yeah. I mean, do you think it's important to be able to earn your movement through body weight before loading? Because I think there is a there's kind of like a school of thought that the load is a corrective, right? Yeah, um, it could very well be. Yeah, it, so, it'll, it'll depend upon one person and the other. Like a general statement, I can't I can't necessarily get behind yeah. because some people neurologically are going to need to be under load, especially most likely the people that have been training under load for so long. They actually need that stimuli to create better movements, but then. What about the people that haven't been under load and that are neurologically overwhelmed by too much stimuli? Well, I might just need to start with them with their own body weight. And that's why we use actually the autonomic nervous system to help guide us through the programming because the brain is going to immediately tell you. It's going to receive information, it'll interpret it, and then it'll transmit a response. And it'll either be a stressed response that's more sympathetic that reduces range of motion, that reduces balance, your peripheral vision. There's a whole bunch of things that'll get affected. It's not just heart rate going up and down. So we can harness that in terms of giving us a gauge or a compass in which to start to, to go through. Like I can determine how much load I should be putting on my body by how my nervous system responds to it. I should have a greater range of motion or my range of motion should at least not be less when I load the body through a particular movement. Mm. So that's another part that we haven't even brought up is how do we determine what the load is? Right now, conventionally, we've just been going by a percentage of your 1RM, 5RM, or whatever it is, and, and we're not necessarily looking, obviously, at the quality of your lift, but just the quantity of mass you produced, and then we're gauging it a certain percentage of that when we're not actually seeing how the response was in real time to your system. And so I would promote that we actually harness the autonomic nervous system and seeing if we're getting a person to be in the zone where there's not too much sympathetic or parasympathetic response and, and see if we can guide ourselves along that path. Interesting. If you were to, you know, we talk a lot about muscle on this podcast, muscle medicine. And yeah. It, yeah an idea of muscle as the, the organ of longevity, right? So especially during these times, muscle is really the one protective factor and how much muscle we have against getting sick, against COVID, against, you know, if we ever did get hospitalized and have to be on a vent and be laying in bed, that one protective factor is the amount of muscle we have. So how do we, you know, if we think of this idea of like muscle as the organ of longevity, how can we start to you know, and this is not for necessarily the athletes, because I know you work with a lot of athletes, but, you know, just for like the everyday person who wants to feel good in their body, does not want to be in pain, wants to move well, but also tap into this, like, 
I want to be protective of my muscle. Like, how would you approach that person? Like, what kind of things would you give them? Is it that there is a question about the intensity level of this style of training compared to the other? Yeah, so I think, you know, I think there's a spectrum. So like when I have studied this idea of like returning to center and working through the three planes of motion through a gait cycle, Mm -hmm. it is very much body weight and it's feeling in your body and feeling the joints and feeling those cog effects. But then I want to go and hit the gym and I want to lift heavy. And so it's like, it feels like it's two ends of a spectrum. Gotcha. Is there a way to have them meet halfway? Is that like doing band work, resistance band through a gait pattern? Yes. And I'm like, well, that's not really necessarily loading the muscle. And if I want my muscle to be, you know, my organ of longevity and resilient, like how do I kind of merge those two ends of the spectrum? Gotcha. Okay, cool. Well, I guess that's what I meant to ask. I got you. Yeah, no. And, and there is a middle ground that we can meet for certain because, you know, I, I love this little story I sometimes tell about uh, studying a homeschool science project with my son all about popcorn. And what makes popcorn pop is the water inside the kernel. But there, there has to be a certain amount of water in order for that popcorn to explode at the right time and be that delicious thing we enjoy at the movies or we're used to enjoy the movies, right? But if there's, if there's not enough water in the kernel, then the kernel will never pop and it'll be one of those unpopped kernels at the bottom of the bucket every time you go and you reach down in the bowl. But if there's too much water, then it's going to explode prematurely and it's gonna be one of those hard kind of nuggets that you don't wanna get in between your teeth because you'll be flossing for the next day or two. There's this range, like this Goldilocks range that we want to achieve. And I think the same can be said with this. Yes, there's body weight exercises that can create a tremendous intensity and fatigue within your body. Just look at how gymnasts train. That's a great example. And then there's going to be those times where you want to grab the barbell, the kettlebell, and start to really load those patterns. And there needs to be kind of a, a wonderful bouquet that creates this blend in between because we're going to need to be the strong tree in moments when we're moving out of our house and have to lift the couch or whatever. There's always going to be opportunities like that. But then there's also the other side where I need to move like a a ballerina on stage that makes it look easy doing all these Cirque du Soleil kind of acrobatic feats. So there is that blend. There's going to be times where you're going to do a body weight style movement and it may be paired up with a heavy loaded action as well. So I had, for instance, you know, we, we do have a lot of people that are our joint replacement recipients here. One of the local hospitals considers us one of their partners in their joint replacement program. So after they're done with physical therapy, they come and train with us. And then we've got top elite athletes in the Santa Cruz area. It's not the, it's not New York city by any stretch or LA, but we've got the pro surfers and mountain bikers and occasionally the off season pro sports athletes that come through here that we train. But regardless of who that is, there's always movements that we can find that they struggle to achieve. And just putting them into those actions lights them up like no tomorrow. But then you give them candy. You know, you give them a little bit of dessert and say, okay, we're going to do some kettlebell swings. And oh, their teeth come out and the hair on the back of their neck rise. Oh, I love 
swing, swing, swings. That's great. Oh, the testosterone, the adrenaline builds up and it's great. And then you put them back into things that just kick their butt because they're only using their hip to drive over their leg in some fashion. And you get their arm to reach over there. They're like, this is way harder than the swings, you know? So it's, it's a beautiful blend or medley of, of everything they need to make a much more com- complete or comprehensive approach than just the one trick pony of, we're, we're going to grab the barbell again today and you're going to go through sagittal plane biased uh, bilateral movements and we're going to hope that everything works out well. So it sounds like variability and then allowing the body to experience a new experience. Exactly. You know, it's that whole neural map. Like there is a time that you have a way of going to work every day. You, there is, you leave almost the same time, more or less, depending on your schedule, but you leave relatively the same time to give yourself the amount of time to get to where you're going. You take the same route almost all the time. If there is a block there, then you're going to find the next best route to get to work. And it's not going to be the scenic route, most likely. You're not going to spend an extra half hour going around when you could just make it the most efficient. Our bodies are the same exact way. Our neurological system is geared toward that. We're going to find the most efficient way to go from point A to point B. If something gets in our way, we're going to find the next most efficient route to go from point A to point B. And our workouts are very much like that too. However, we tend to do what we're good at. That's why, and we tend to do what society deems appropriate for our physique. That's why that women typically, generally speaking, are going to focus on their hips and their butt, and men are going to focus on their chest and their arms. You ask any guy in the gym what is in their program, two exercises will always be there. Which ones are they, Doc? <laughs> Go ahead, guess. Chest you and buys, <laughs> chest and back. Curls and bench press. Bicep curls and bench press every stinking workout you're going to find. And what are you going to find in the women's workout? I don't the know. I love, to, I love to kettlebell swing and do yep, deadlifts. There, there you go. There's your butt exercises, right? And it's that way. And so the more we train that, the better we get at it, but the more we neglect other areas. And so our neural map just gets clean, just, just goes from one point to point A to point B, same exercise over and over. And, but all throughout the rest of the map on the surface, it's all blurred because we don't travel and see what's around the corner of that building. We just go right past it. We don't stop into the shop and look around. We just go past the door. And so every time we don't explore the world around us, our world actually shrinks. And the more you know, the more you stay with the same program over time and don't allow variability, the more you're painting yourself in a corner. And you may be 20 years old and feeling like you own the world and there's no aches or pains, but you keep doing that for the next 15 years, 20 years, and then suddenly you're going to start to notice your back's bothering you and now, or your shoulder every time you do the bench press. So you switch from doing a wide grip to a close grip or you switch over to dumbbells. But now, oh, every time you do it, it starts bugging you. And you but you still keep doing the same movements. I'm encouraging a lot more variability into a program, load, unload, mobility, stability, just run across the whole spectrum. So you have a book coming out. Is it out yet? Yeah, it's out. It's, it's out in uh, print and ebook fashion. In, okay. In- and it can be found wherever books are sold. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. It's return to center, return to center, strength training to realign the body, recover from pain and achieve optimal performance. 
And the foreword is by Gary Ward. And I've had many mentors over the years. Uh, the Gary Gray and the Gray Institute, his son, Doug. I've gone through uh, numerous amounts of courses with them. There was a fellow in the mid-90s to early 2000s by the name of Jeff, Jeff Gluckman, who worked at the Agoscu Clinic in San Diego and branched out on his own. He was the one that really opened my eyes to trying to bring people back into better alignment for better longevity and better strength and so on. And I've had many mentors, but I got to say most recently over the last six years between Gary Ward and his colleague, Chris Shratharan, they have been the game changer that I had no idea they could be. And it has opened my eyes and created a whole new way of looking at training the body. But the book is out. The cool thing with the book is that I created about 150 videos that I've embedded in the form of QR codes in the book. So with the concepts and the movements, the drills, exercise, and whatnot, you just scan on that with your phone and a YouTube video pops up that's a few minutes long that gives you more insight on the actual movements or the concepts. So you're not just judging what is this guy trying to do with two pictures in a page and a few words on, on the page as well. So you actually get a little bit more uh, kind of like a, a pocket personal trainer, I guess. It's really a tremendous resource. Um, you see, you know, you can talk about bend to the right, but then when you see it and you feel it in your body as you're following the videos, it's a very different experience. It truly is. Honestly, I have, I had a, a fellow that's in here. He's also, he has a, a podcast in fact, but he's a competitive high jumper. Mm -hmm. And we were doing a simple movement that uh, he, he grabbed some dumbbells and we did basically a front lunge. And he says, every time I do this front lunge, I feel it right in my knee. And the typical approach would be, okay, well, let's change that somehow in terms of let's lighten the load or let's put your foot up higher on a step so you don't have to impact it as much. But I noticed down below that his heel was kind of jammed up and it wasn't rolling forward and his foot wasn't kind of absorbing the impact and it was staying really rigid. So we put a little bit of a foam wedge underneath his heel to encourage it to roll forward. And every time he did the movement, he's like, yeah, that, okay, that's it. I, I don't, he'd try and hunt down the pain. And I guess the reason why I bring this up is because afterwards he started hopping around the studio, not like walking. He started actually leaping and jumping and he's going this, I, I haven't felt this in a long time. So, the purpose here is to try and unlock your potential by giving you movements that actually train the whole body to perform and not at just one joint. And the effect is immediate. You don't have to wait for weeks to see the scale drop or the, the tape measure around the arms increase or anything like that. We're talking about training the nervous system through movement. And by doing that, your strength levels improve, the compensation and imbalances diminish, pain goes away relatively quick, or at least they gets a lot less. And so I hope we're on the right track. If I'm full of it, then if you have a table where one leg is shorter than the other, the book will really come into play really well there too. <laughs> so everyone should pick up Return to Center. I've read every page researching for this podcast and the photos are beautiful. You can tell like you really took the time to you know, make the photos gorgeous. And then the videos are just like, whoo, should be like a whole nother resource unto itself. So where can people find you? Uh, you can go to rockysnyder.com and Snyder is S-N-Y-D-E-R. You can just go right to the webpage there. All social media, I've got an Instagram, Rocky underscore Snyder. Twitter, I'm not big on, but uh, you could probably find me there. I, I think things feed automatically into that. But Facebook, of course, and LinkedIn, just type in Rocky Snyder. 
And if you put Rocky Side or Santa Cruz, there, I think there's a whole bunch of things that pop up. And I love talking shop. So, you know, if you, if you got questions, you just shoot me an email through the website. Yeah, if I can answer it, I'm happy to. And if I can't, I'll try and direct you to where you can get more information. Awesome. Rocky, thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. That's a wrap. I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you wanna share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, Or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys. So much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here.